0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: He listens to him, he's convinced that Jesus is the promised one, immediately he goes and he finds his own brother Simon, he shares the good news, and most important of all, he brought him to Jesus. Now he was able to do something we can't do. He brought his brother to Jesus physically. He could say, we found the one, we found the Savior, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ. And he says, you've got to come meet him.
0: In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Behold the Lamb of God. We're in the first chapter of the book of John, and we will begin today in verse 35, and we will finish this chapter. We will consider John proclaiming to his disciples, behold, the Lamb of God, as he points them to Jesus. And we will also see the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. So let's listen in.
1: And listen, when Jesus comes on the scene and says, before Abraham was, I am, I love that. He's saying, I'm God. And I existed before Abraham. And I'm, by the way, as we learned last week, creator of all things. Well, if it took a revelation from heaven for John to process that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God and God the Son. Well, it would take the same thing for those of us who've yet to come to the Lord or those we're sharing the Lord with. We need to pray that God will open eyes, that God will soften hearts, that God will make his word real to those who hear. And listen, I'm always praying that every time we gather together. My prayer is, Lord, make your word alive to every person. I know it is alive, but you know, people read it and say, oh, I just didn't understand a word of it. They don't all talk like that, but um, <laughs> i teaching the- teaching the grandkids and some of the other kids in Hope Academy. The other day, I was talking to four of them, and they're, they're little. They're with my grandson, Luke, but they're all about nine or ten years old. And they're sitting at a table, and, and one of them said, I, saw you, I heard you on the radio. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, that was awesome. And I'm like, well, did you know I'm on TV, too? And he's like, what? You're famous. And I go, not really, but, but if I was or, or am, it's only for Jesus because I'm always about him. You hear me, if you see me, and, you know, anyway, that's, that's what's going on. And I said, did you know, if you're all about Jesus, you'll be famous too. And they're like, what? All four of them kind of perk up. And I said, at least in God's eyes. And that's what matters, right? Fame in man's eyes? Hey, Trump has that. Who wants that? You know, <laughs> I'm happy here. <laughs> and, and I want to say, though, I told them, they go, well, what do we need to do? I said, well, first you need to learn to share the Lord. How do we do that? I said, well, one of you needs to talk to the other one and practice together. And I said, here's what you do. One of you is going to be the guy who says, hey, have you heard anything about Jesus? Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? And, and, uh, and the cutest little guy, uh, 10 years old anyway, uh, he, he's like, oh, I want to do that part. And I'm like, okay, you got it. And, and then, then my grandson, I said, the other one's going to have to say, well, I don't know anything about that. I, I, I never heard about Jesus. And, and my grandson Louis like, I can do that part because we play this game at home. And and anyway, it was just cool because then Jody came over and we got in a conversation with people. And this was all at lunch in our lobby area, our cafe. And so um, anyway, at the end of all of this, we're talking for like five or 10 minutes and I get done and I look over and they're actually doing it. And I'm thinking if 10-year-olds could take that seriously and prepare themselves to actually share the Lord with someone, well, maybe you guys might want to try the same. So we're going to all pair up right now. and. uh, (laughs) We don't have time for that. But anyway, I do want to encourage you. If you're like, well, I don't know. I get all tongue tied and, you know, start getting my merds wixed up and you know what can happen. <laughs> well, don't worry about that. If you need to practice, practice. But, but it's a simple message. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God, everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not that complicated. It's not a lot to understand or memorize. But then you have to pray that God will open up their eyes and and open up their ears, that they will have what we've experienced, those of us in Christ, a revelation from heaven. And by the way, that has to continue. God, through his spirit, opens up the word to us. He convinces us it's true. It's the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who seals us until the day of redemption when we open our heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. He comes into our life in the person of the Holy Spirit, who then begins to teach us and remind us. He's the comforter, consoling us when we're down and hurting. And and, and he's the teacher, and he's the reminder, and he's the revealer of things to come. Well, we'll come back to him, but for now, we're on John. So verse 35, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, having prepared them for him by calling them to repentance, he now points them to the one. Behold, the Lamb of God. By the way, this is the fulfillment of a promise, of a prophecy Abraham makes to his son, Isaac, way back in Genesis 22. And some of you are newer to the idea that the New Testament is actually the fulfillment of all those promises in the old. And anything not yet fulfilled, well, they will be. Because you know, Jesus comes twice. He he comes for us to die for our sins, buried and risen again, ascends into heaven, promising to come again and receive us unto himself that where he is, we will be Also, And so then he'll be coming for us and later we'll return with him to rule and reign for a thousand years. But it all began with with Abraham hearing God tell him that he wants him to take his son, his only son whom he loves and sacrifice him on a mountain that he will show him. Offer him on Moriah as a burnt offering to the Lord. Now, listen, it's so important because it's the very first time there's a mention of a father loving his son. It's the first time of someone mentioning or God mentioning an only begotten son. And the interesting thing is Abraham already had another son. So but, but God just looks past him because he was a work of the flesh. You can go back and read the story if you don't yet understand that. Isaac was the promised son, born miraculously, born to a guy 100 years old with a 90-year-old wife. And if you don't think that's a miracle, well, then you're not really remembering back to what it was like even young. And uh, they not only birthed, they raised this boy. and, And at some point, probably his early 30s, it's thought, well, God requires him of Abraham. So Abraham goes back. And later, you should read through it. But uh, Abraham rose early in the morning. It's Genesis 22:3. In case you want to, I'm going to spend about five minutes here in case you want to track with me. But you can listen to it. You can go back and read it anytime. He got up early in the morning. He saddles his donkey. He takes two of his young men and Isaac with him. He split the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place of which God told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And he said to his young men, stay here. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. He has the wood for the burnt offering. He has everything he needs for the sacrifice. And so they traveled. It's three-day journey. That's important because, well, when we read of three days, most of us immediately consider and think of the resurrection. We know that Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So we're reading the Old Testament through the lens of the new. And we realize that all those things are pointing to him. So then when we understand him, we understand those things better. So three day journey during which time Isaac is as good as dead to Abraham. Why? He fully intends to offer him as God says he must. It's important for you later, if you haven't read through Genesis or studied through it, to familiarize yourself with that entire book because it, early in Abe's life, he could have never done this. He, he So many times he fails, his faith falters, and yet God calls him the father of the faith. He, he exalts him as one who, who in the New Testament, he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, anyway, more than that. So uh, a three-day journey. He lifts his eyes and and sees the place afar off. He tells his servants, you guys stay here. We're going up yonder to worship. It's the first time in scripture the word worship appears. And uh, important, not the first act of worship. There have been a lot of worship up to this point. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Some of it offered to God, some offered to idols. But important to say at this point, that we get some insight into worship itself. And that insight is this. Worship always involves and requires sacrifice. And, and worship of the true and living God demands that we offer our very best because that's what he's requiring here of Abraham. He wants his only begotten son, whom he loves and whom he waited for 25 years to see. Now God's saying, I want you to sacrifice him to me. So worship, It always involves sacrifice. And if you're worshiping the true and living God, you should be offering the very best of you and the very best of all he's entrusted to you. Well, third day again, historical and prophetic as it is resurrection day. And then this is uh, Genesis 22, verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac's back. A picture for us of Jesus who will later bear the cross upon his back. He took the fire in hand, a knife. The two of them went together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, look, the fire in the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham's response to his son is prophetic. He says, God will provide, my new King James, I'll read it to you. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. But literally, word for word in the Hebrew, it's God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. What's the difference? It's not for himself, it's he himself. And that's what Jesus comes to show, that he is the son of God and God the son and the savior of the world. God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. The two of them went together. They came to the place which God told them. He builds an altar, places the wood in order. He binds his son Isaac on it and uh, puts him upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad for now or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. It's a reminder to always be listening for the voice of the Lord. What a mess this would have been. If, if Abraham's like getting ready to go and, and you know, here's Abraham, Abraham, wait a minute, I'm busy here doing the will of God. No, it was not the will of God to sacrifice his son. It was the will of God to test Abraham to show. Listen, God wasn't finding out anything about Abraham. He knew what Abraham would do. But it's a testimony to Abraham and to everyone who ever reads the story. That God can take a man who is very weak in faith and make him the father of the faith that he can make a man who stumbles consistently and make him one willing to sacrifice anything and everything to the Lord in obedience. Well, last thing that I got to share and then we'll jump back into our passage because we have a bit more to cover. Anyway, Abraham lifted his eyes and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket. He went and got the ram, sacrificed it in place of his son a substitutionary sacrifice. And that's, of course, what Jesus will later be for us. But the question remains at the end of that chapter or the end of that story, what about the lamb? It didn't say a ram, it said a lamb. And so Abraham, by the way, and this is verse 14, Genesis 22, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the Mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, Hebrews eleven seven says by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he received the promises. He offered his only begotten son, of whom it was said, "In Isaac, your seed will be called." So every promise to Abraham was going to be fulfilled in and through Isaac and his descendants. And listen, it says, concluding Hebrews eleven um, nineteen, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead which he also received him in a figurative sense. The sacrifice would have been literal. It only becomes figurative because he never actually had to sacrifice his son. It was only a test. It becomes a powerful testimony. But what about the lamb? This is the answer to that question. And if you've never processed the fact that things happen in Genesis that are pointing us to something that will happen in the gospels and beyond in the book of Acts and such, This is the the, the perfect proof of it. He says the lamb. and, And here, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then behold the lamb of God. Well, verse 37 back here in John 1, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed him. I like this. Why do they follow? They need to behold him up close. They want to behold him in person. They'd been called to repentance by John. They became disciples of John. But now John's pointing them to the one who came to die for their sin, who would be buried and rise again the third day as promised. So, so uh, they begin to follow Jesus. Jesus turns, seeing them following, says, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is a say, to say tr- when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He says, what do you seek? They say, it's not a what, it's a Who? Where are you staying? And he said, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, remained with him that day, and it was about the 10th hour. Now those were hours well spent because the very next thing that happens, verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus. You know, there are two things I'm always looking for when I'm reading through the scripture. First will be any sin to avoid because I'm like, well, you guys prone to sin, tempted to sin. And, uh, and so I want to see, is there anything going on here that God would use to warn me that, hey, that could happen to you? Be careful about this. Beyond that, the other is an example to follow. And there are many others. I had a long list and at some point I'll maybe pull it out and we'll go through them together. But but we're always looking for these two things. Any sin to avoid, any good example to follow because there are plenty of bad examples. Those would fall into the sin to avoid category. So he's pointed to Jesus. So he follows. He listens to him. He's convinced that Jesus is the promised one. Immediately he goes and he finds his own brother Simon. He shares the good news. And most important of all, he brought him to Jesus. Now, he was able to do something we can't do. He brought his brother to Jesus physically. He could say, we found the one, we found the Savior, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ. And he says, you've got to come meet him. And he brings his brother to Jesus. Now, we can't do that physically, but when we live as he intends, when we function as he intends, when we... Speak the truth in love as he commands. Will we become living witnesses of Jesus' life transforming power? And what we can do is point people to Jesus like John and we can bring people in the sense of saying, hey, read the gospel of John. John says, I wrote these things that you could believe. And believing have life in his name. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, he says, and believing you'd have life in his name. So um, he goes, he brings his brother to Jesus. And listen, the rest is the work of God. It's always going to be that way. If we can just get people to consider Jesus, then we can trust God to do what only he can do. When Jesus looked at him, latter part of verse 42, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. You should know, most of you probably do, names in scripture speak to character and nature and such. He says, hey, you're a reed. That's what Simon means. You know what a reed does in the wind. It just goes this way and that way. Whatever way the wind's blowing, that's the way Simon was going. But he says, I'm gonna make you a rock. And of course, Peter has some confusion about how much of that will be Jesus' work and how much will be his But that's all in the story going forward. So he says, you're going to be something. You're going to be rocky. Reveals what he will make of Peter. Following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. Verse 43, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's God's lost and found. And I love how this happens. It says that Jesus found him, but when he goes to his his, you know, to speak to Nathanael, he's like, hey, we found him. And, and either way, it's true. He finds us, and then we find that he's found us, and we find him in the process. Well, Nathanael's response is important to us, and here's why. Some of us are easily discouraged. Some of us are easily deterred. Some of us just don't want to fail, so we don't try. One thing's for sure. If you don't try, you won't fail, but you have no chance of success either. So it's kind of like doing nothing and then just waiting to see nothing happen. So Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That could be discouraging, but it isn't here. Philip just says, come and see. I love that. He's not, he doesn't try to, to, to reason with them or, or help them figure it out or say, what do you mean Nazareth? What, you know, there's none of that. He doesn't care. Come and see for yourself. And I want to encourage you, if you know people who don't know the Lord or think they do, but it's clear that they don't, you know that they went to church but they've never met the the savior that they read the bible but they never found the lord in it and and so here here's the point just tell them hey come and see and and if if you can give people a bible and encourage them to read the gospel of john we have these little pocket bibles we can order some more cases of them we always keep a case around cuz when anyone gives their life to the lord we give them one of those little bibles and it's just the new testament it's new king james so easy reading but i want to encourage you give people bibles Ask them, hey, do you know anything about Jesus? And when they say, well, no, what, what do you mean? Then you can do what, well, you know, those kids were doing. And then you can just give them a Bible and say, look, people will tell you, man, I went to church. It didn't work for me. I went to church and I got hurt real bad. I got, went to church. People misrepresented him. All that could be true. It could be a smoke screen. But the bottom line is, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And yeah, we want to be best, the best witnesses we can be but we're pointing them to Jesus, not us. And so give them a Bible, encourage them to read the gospel of John and then say, hey, I'll meet with you to answer any questions you have. And if you're like, well, how will I know the answers? You'll know them, trust me, just read it. You'll get it, you'll process it. He'll bring it to your remembrance and use it to transform their lives. He just says, come see for yourself. Just come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit, Nathanael said, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now we have no idea what Nathanael was going through or what he was doing under that fig tree, what he was thinking or praying. But we do know whatever it was, it was important to him and significant enough that when Jesus said, I saw you under there, you know, and he's saying, you know, a man in whom there's no guile. This says deceit. Old King James said, guile. We don't use that word a lot anymore. So, so deceit is good. He's saying, here's a guy with a pure heart, a guy with a heart for me. And, and, and he goes from, from saying, can any good thing come out of Nazareth to rabbi? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he joins the apostle John who said, In verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He joins John the Baptist who in verse 34 said, I've seen and testified this is the son of God saying to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Well, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's simple today. If you know him, point others to him. If you have walking with him, then be the best example you can be. Trust in him. Walk in obedience to him. Speak the truth in love. But... At all costs, and in all times, point people to the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
0: Jesus knew what was on Nathaniel's mind. He knew what he was doing under the fig tree. And revealing to Nathanael that he knew his mind was all that Nathaniel needed to trust that Christ was the Messiah. We have to understand that Jesus knows our minds as well. He knows what we're concerned about, He knows what's important to us, and He knows what we need. Now, I've heard some say that they don't wanna bother the Lord with certain prayers and needs and requests. And I may have thought the same thing myself from time to time. In Matthew 6:8, Jesus tells us, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Yet we're still told to take our requests and our needs to Him in prayer. It's not a matter of bothering our Lord with our issues. It's an act of faith each time we come to him in prayer, and it blesses him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.